Pull up a chair, get a drink, and welcome to the familiar Cat and Crow. I'm your barkeep, Caleb Littleton. Today's date is November 10th, 2021. Today is a little bit of a slow news day. Oh, heads up. This might be a little shorter than usual. I woke up with a sore throat. So. Oh, it's been... A bit of a slow news week, so I have an alternative topic to discuss for that. D&D has been brought back into the national spotlight in a way that Gary Gygax couldn't have predicted. Namely, through actual play podcasts. That's where a bunch of people sit around a table and play Dungeons and Dragons. So I figure I'd give you... A brief instruction to a few of the major actual play podcasts around and talk about them for a bit. Because there are a few with the real money put into them. If major streaming services are willing to put money into them, I figure they should be discussed at length. The first of these is Critical Role. Critical Role streams almost every Thursday night and debt is definitely the most visually interesting of the actual play podcast. Critical Role is hosted by eight veteran voice actors, which gives it a real theatrical quality to it. It's a very dramatic game. Players are Laura Bailey, Talison Jaffe, Ashley Johnson, Liam O'Brien, Marisha Ray, Sam Regal, and Travis Willingham. The DM is Matt Mercer, who has a massive leg up on many DMs. It's an actual play podcast. Yes. He is a gigantic Dungeons and Dragons nerd who has played it for a very long time. Critical Role takes place in the world of Exandria, which is a setting of Matt's own design. It's a dark setting with a lot of room for real change if you push hard enough. Their third campaign just started, which get which takes place on the continent of Marquette. Marquette is heavily inspired by Arabian fantasy, but with Matsy, but with Mercer's own unique spin on it. The first campaign in was sort was in something sort of an England France type play, is with the continent being called Caldore. The second campaign took place is on the continent of Wildmount, which is very Russian and German in design. The third campaign's fourth episode will air tomorrow night at 10 Pacific, which means that you have enough time to try and hit the ground running. They've started a large city, which is considered unusual in Dungeons & Dragons. The characters this time include a shiny, happy little robot called Fresh Cut Grass. And oh God, the story's in that name. A stuff own man and barbarian called Ashton, a, a shy southern belle with psychic powers called Imogen, a creepy horror woman with dark powers named Laudna, a tiny knight from, from the air shark named Oral, Orum, not Oral, and a wild font and with fire powers named Fern. Travis Willingham is currently between characters, so we'll have to see what happens there. One unique element this year is over the summer, Critical Role did a secondary show for a shorter campaign. They called that show you know, Exandria Unlimited. 
They brought it on Dimension 20's Bria Iyengar to tell a new and interesting story in Taldore in the current year. And the big thing was that they let out a new DM to run the game while Lee and Ashley got to as new characters among new players Amy Carrero and, and Robbie Damon. And Matt Mercer are on the are on the other side of the shield for once as a player. Robbie Damon's bard is also get a stinging campaign three at the moment. This has been controversial. On the one hand, people like seeing more of or Roman Fern in a longer campaign. On the flip side, a lot of people felt like they were recycling their characters and had a distaste for it. In my opinion, Orem and Fern aren't exactly my favorite PCs they've played, but they do have a better chemistry in this larger unnamed group. Another great aspect this year's Matt Matt has been given this wonderfully built set with a lot of gadgets to it. He can change his voice, match with with the color of the lights, he can inject rain effects, he has scent. When you watch this, you can tell he's having the time of his life. There's a... And... A lot of other people enjoy it because, well... They got uh, several million dollars on Kickstarter to make an animated series, which they, and got picked up by Amazon. So they're going to get at least two seasons of the first campaign in as a cartoon and aimed at adults, which they, which looks very good from what little we've seen of it so far, and I cannot wait. However, they're not the only game in town. For somewhat... Some of you might like make your game a little wackier. Well then, let me tell you about the first people who got a D&D podcast thing to be a big thing. The McElroy brothers and their, their podcast, Adventure Zone. The McElroys had, had a silly a little podcast called My Brother, My Brother and Me, where they, they answer various Yahoo questions. And the three of them joked at one point that eventually they needed to do an adventures own podcast so that they could get an excuse to play Dungeons and Dragons. Then, and they did in fact do that with their other, and they launched Adventure Zone. I'm not going to pretend I have watched Adventure Zone myself. I know it by reputation more than anything else, and I know that it. Ha- it's a large and devoted fan base, enough that it also has an animated series in the works, this time on Peacock instead of Amazon Prime. What I do know about it is that it's a much sillier game, which isn't a bad thing. Travis Ma- uh Griffin. Griffin is the one that usually runs. Griffin ran in the first two campaigns, which were were wildly different from each other, each in their own set. I think the first was a high fantasy thing involving space and time travel and, and all that sorts of fun stuff. Uh, the set, second was set in modern time, 
Sometimes in backwoods Virginia and dealing with monsters in the night, right, which dealt with the game system Monster of the Week, which I have not played, so I don't know if it's any good. They then brought back D&D and Travis took over for their third campaign, which based was based around a magical school. I know people didn't really like that one, but I haven't put, watched any of them myself. Uh, so they brought Griffin back for or their current one, Earthsea, or Ethersea. Maybe you know, the fans like it more. I don't know. But like this up, like a critical role before it, this one also has not... It's like comics and cartoons coming. So people like it and there's money behind it. So it might be worth a listen. Another group that does this is Team Four Star. Our, our parody legends in the anime world. Eventually they picked up a gentleman named Chris Zito. Who was a talented, funny streamer in his own right. It, and eventually, an idea got on off the ground. Them playing Dungeons and Dragons on stream. So Zeta, oh Nick, and Nick, and various other players would get it on and play various games there. I haven't seen much of TSFS at the table, but I know that the fans love it a lot. Uh, and I, I understand why, because Zito has this great mixture in his persona of half New York wise guy and half silly comedian, and it works spectacularly in his, his typical live stream. And so I can't imagine how well it does what, and he gets to play and run a world. I know for a fact they started their second campaign in recently. This one being called Foolproof. And where the first one was pirate themed, this one is a big old, old cartoon world with cartoon physics. And I love the aesthetic of it already. I need to find the time and to watch it because it looks like a delight. Zito went to the the extent of building a race to be a cartoon character, and I need it so much. I cannot wait to tear into that setting, fiction, and I want to know what it's like. Critical Role's original host was a group called Geek and Sundry, and when Critical Role started stretching to try and make moves in Elite, You've, they decided to start putting some work in their own streams. I'm not entirely sure if these are still running, but when, in our last one, which they did in two long-form games of Dread, well, not long-form, mini-series of Dread. Dread is a horror game where instead of rolling dice, you have a Jenga tower. Every time you make a move, you pull a block from the Jenga tower. If you knock over the Jenga tower, bad things happen. And there's a 
real sense of dread to it, fitting for the name, and because Ivan and Norman is a great horror storyteller. They it built sets for it, right, where you can and see the actors interacting in real space. Ace, and instead of having one small all Jenga table, Jenga board, there's a there's a large full sized one. So if it falls, it it has an impact. But maybe you want something a little lighter. Maybe you're a Power Rangers fan. Cut a Saban. Cause Saban and their infinite wisdom. I don't know how this happened, but I'm glad it did. Decided that they wanted to have their own slice of D&D. So they made Power Rangers Hyperforce, which is essentially a Power Rangers show done through in the style of D&D. With, D&D done in the style of Critical Role with some of their alumni. And, and it's wild. There are some great ideas to it, especially since they do actually have some of the actors from Power Rangers pop in as players. In fact, Bulk is one of the regular players. I do who have reservations about the way the system works because it's built almost entirely on audience interaction, and uh, I'm not a fan of that concept for it, it feels very meta-gamey, where or they can just give people more power to do things, things for the sake of it. Especially what it was implied that the DM wanted to take away in one person's battleizer because, or entirely because the audience kept giving them power to use it, and that just felt entirely unfair to me. One last official one is World of Darkness decided instead of waiting for nerds to do it on their own, they'd make their own blackjack and hookers. Enter L.A. by Night. L.A. by Night, it is a bunch of... It's almost the critical role of Vampire the Masquerade. And you can tell there. There's some deep work put into it, especially since, well, they have a company's money behind it. I don't know. I've not watched it. I know there people have said good things about it. I've watched the original Critical Role miniseries that, that launched the idea, but I've not watched L.A. by Night itself. But that's enough about actual pot, actual play for the moment. Let's talk about the reason a lot of you are here. Dungeons and Dragons. So Dungeons and Dragons, Eggins has been teasing future projects lately. One thing they teased a bit ago was the idea that in 2023-ish, they'll show off the next evolution of Dungeons and Dragons. Which people are are taking to mean uh, either an upgrade of fifth edition or six, or that the sixth edition is on the horizon. So with these talks, I figure, why don't we go through 
the various editions of D&D and see what makes them tick and makes them distinct. And, of course, if we're starting, we might as well start from the beginning with Gary Gygax's original Dungeons & Dragons. Gary Gygax is a controversial figure in the fandom nowadays. Gygax is responsible for creating the hobby, and he does have some respect for that. But he has some uncomfortable views nowadays. Critics, uh, Dungeons and Dragons has gotten a lot of criticism for various things over the years, and namely the idea that races are evil and you can just slaughter them is the thing that Wizards of the Coast has been pushing back on a lot. And namely, that started because Gygax liked that just, oh yeah, you can kill any orc you see. A genocide's fine for orcs. It's just that's like when you invade it a country of brown people was essentially his argument. And I can't remember the country. I want to say it was somewhere in Asia. Wow, the it doesn't bode well and work. It is really uncomfortable. All to think about. He also was just of the opinion that, yeah, yeah, this is not a game for women. And, and, and therefore women and just aren't interested because only three women were interested in his playtests and none of them liked it. I can safely say with my own experience, yeah, women love D&D. And Gygax was an asshole. TSR tried to relaunch and herald Gygax's creative vision recently, and it has featured some mixed results online. The reason I'm talking about Gygax more than the original edition is very few people think the original edition as the best edition. It's a very clunky game where you roll all of your stats in order uh, order using 3d6 and it's very taped together in that early edition which is what the next edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons tends to be what a lot of people would think of before or 5e he blew up as the default Dungeons & Dragons. Now, I'm not going to say AD&D is an easier play, because it has its own levels of weird rules. But there is sort of a fascinating grimness to it, because you can just straight up die horribly, easily, if you roll all the dice wrong. And... While I can see why people will be upset at that, at the end of the day, if you're going out and entering and facing mortal peril, that sort of fragility is something you should expect. Why not play around with that? It all AD and D was also where they started getting some of the modern cl- classes that would become modern staple 
let's do four originally. They just did it in weird ways. They all, he's like, in order to become a bard, which is essentially magical music, you have to be a fighter for several levels, be a rogue for a couple levels, then become a druid, and then spontaneously pump. You can play the guitar nine levels later. And the stat requirements, which were still a thing back then, were absurd. Like, you had to have 18s and a couple stats in order to do it, which is odd, but okay. If you're the guy killing people with the guitar, I guess you got to be one of the strongest of the group. It also had weird ideas like, like alignment languages where, oh, just like how Catholics speak Latin. No, Gygax, that's not how that works. Every lawful good person can speak their own language. But how does that work magically? Because it's weird. But AD&D is also where a lot of the iconic like monsters and gods and figures started cropping up. Worlds like Dark Sun and Kryn all all began to fort their own worlds in Dungeons and Dragons. There are that and some of the impenetrable crunch. Third edition was an attempt to modernize it. And by modernized, I mean this was like the 90s, so we're still not modern. And 3rd edition plays better, in my opinion. And But there are still some kinks. There are a lot of numbers in 3rd edition. And not everyone was a fan of it, which I can get. 3rd edition and is more approachable than the two before it. And definitely more interesting than in fourth, but fourth, but there are still a lot of little things you've got to keep track of, and I can understand why not everyone would be thrilled by that. Eventually, they decided to double down and make it more Matt Anthony Minutia heavy, which I feel was a bad decision. And, and that's how... And that doubling down is what became 3.5. 3.5 is considered one of the most... The three editions people think of usually when they talk about Dungeons & Dragons are usually AD&D, 3.5, and 5e. 3.5 was considered the gold standard by a lot of people for, for a long time, and a lot of the purists still like 3.5 over 4 and 5, which I can understand, I guess. Yes. I know. Yes. Eventually, 4th edition rolled around as an attempt to bring it in the uh, then modern of 2000. And crap out in. The idea ended up being they tried to make it play more like an MMO. And I 
I know people that love fourth edition, and I know people that vehemently hate fourth edition. I've not touched fourth edition, so I can't comment on whether it's good or bad. But one of the most controversial facts is they made the main way to build your character point by instead of rolling dice, which may, which some people feel takes the, for lack of a better word, the character out of building character because you can just throw just drop one set to oblivion and just to make one thing good, which. Okay, fine, you can technically do that with dice, but with dice, it's more... You get a chance to make a person out of these numbers in dice, I feel. A lot of people didn't like 4th edition, which is what I eventually... A different company called Paizo decided, fuck it, we're going to make our own version of 3.5 and sell it it under the open gaming license. And that is how Pathfinder came out. Pathfinder is still a big deal in gaming circles. If you want crunchier D&D nowadays, you play Pathfinder because it plays like D&D back in the day. But with without some of the more modern elements that some purists don't like. Pathfinder, I have played, and it's fun, but very complicated, and I had issues keeping up with it. But Paizo also is will experiment with other, in other ways. They have new spins on all of the races. They have of their own unique classes, some serious, some silly. In fact, they invented the gun, into the fantasy concept of the gunslinger class, which critical role ended up picking up up for one of its characters and basically made, made it canon in D and D. So, if you've ever wanted to be the guy I'm playing a western in Dungeons and Dragons, thank Pathfinder for that. They also made Starfinder, which was essentially their attempt at Pathfinder in space. Normally, in space is considered an insult, almost, to say that it's jumping the shark. But but I admit, the idea of, of taking that kind of thing in space does interest me. Because... Wizards of the Coast never really managed to get a a lot of their D20 modern stuff off the ground. So I can understand the impulse. Around this time, eventually, Wizards of the Coast decided to pivot and try to simplify and streamline the game. And that is how 5th edition came around. 5th edition is the current edition and my personal favorite because as Wizards basically reinvented the game to try and streamline it while keeping some of the flair to it. It's a much more cinematic game at this point. Like, it moves quickly. There's complexity for those that want it, but for those that just want, want to go in simple, 
it's very easy to pick up and play. And that's the best part of it. Combine that with, with ideas like advantage and disadvantage where you roll two dice and with advantage you take the higher result or disadvantage the lower and inspiration to add, add modifiers to your dice. It's a breath of fresh air that I really like. They also use D&D Beyond to give you a digital marketplace to store your sheet it's look up books all in one convenient website slash app provided you pay for the books again, which I, I get why the site doesn't have the license to just give you the free books, but it is annoying. I mean, they've also started talking about, about a new evolution called Essence for licensed games and in the Dungeons and Dragons system, because Hasbro you know, is the one that owns D&D now. And Hasbro has other properties they'd like to sell you, like G.I. Joe and Transformers and Power Rangers. So they went another way to announce, by the way, we're making a Power Rangers RPG. We're making a Transformers RPG. We're making a G.I. Joe RPG. And this is done with the Essence system, which radically... It changes how oh, the rolling is done in a way that actually sounds interesting. If this takes off, I will be thrilled because I love Power Rangers and I really don't like how Hyperforce did it. But if they manage to combine 5e and Power Rangers and stick the landing, I will buy it and play it happily. People have debated what 6th edition is going to look like. One of the big things with Fish Edition is one of their recent books, Top Usher's Cauldron of Everything, and announced that, okay, you don't like, like your Dragonborn aren't having a plus two strength and a plus one charisma? Okay. Pick where they go. And with that one decision, every character build became way more doable, and it's fantastic. You can suddenly pick up a tiny little gnome and have them be one of the most dangerous barbarians alive. Or, or an orcish wizard, whatever, and it's, it's wonderful. People are guessing that 6th edition will, or 5.5, we don't know what it's going to be called, will do something with that, especially since Watsi's announced that it's going to be quote, backwards compatible. I'm not 100% sure what that means yet, but I'm guessing it means that you're not going to have to rebalance the stats of various adventure books. Or maybe you can keep your... Or maybe they're going to upgrade the way the classes work and you can still use your existing subclasses. I'm not sure. Well, that's all the time we've got for today, friends. Finish your glasses and have a nice evening.